Right, it is now time to hear from the Lord. And you will hear it from me. All right. So I continue to stand here for the next Oh, well, I have a long time today. So now we move on into round 5 of the revival in the church series. Remember uh, many months back we started with looking at the different letters written to the different churches in revelation and we are done with the first four churches the first four letters written to four churches that we have seen in revelation chapter 2 these seven letters were physically written on the island of patmos by the disciple john who was incarcerated on that island and he was breaking rocks a very cruel punishment for him at his old age but yet in the midst of that he was able to write these letters which were given to him by Jesus Christ and so these are the letters of Jesus Christ written to seven representative churches and what we have seen till now that this message which was written to those churches many many centuries back and applicable to those churches at that point of time is applicable to us today just as much as it was applicable to them that many years back we know that these letters were addressed to individual churches but the instruction given was that the letters must all the letters must be read out to all the churches which essentially meant that while jesus christ identified certain fallacies and commended each of the churches for certain characteristics that they were exhibiting and also gave them certain corrective warnings he recognized that these different limitations which were there in the churches these different commendations and these warnings were required for all the churches at that time and frankly the same applies today we still require those same warnings because we see in many, in many places those same limitations and in many places we do see that there are those aspects which Christ commended those ch- those churches at that time that still can be commended in 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 churches today so shall we open our bibles to revelation chapter 3 and let's read verses 1 to 6 Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 and I'm reading it from the New King James version. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for i have not found your works perfect before god remember therefore how you have received and heard hold fast and repent therefore if you will not watch i will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour i will come upon you you have a few names even in sardis who have not defiled their garments 
and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Who He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now how many of you are astronomers here? Not astrologers. I'm talking about astronomers. Astronomers are scientists. It's a very scientific field. Astrology is a quackery. Any astronomers? Nobody. So that's good. So I can say what I want to say. Okay. Now let me give you a lesson in astronomy. Okay. There is a star in the northern hemisphere called the North Star or the North, Northern Polar Star. Apparently, according to astronomers, the light from this star, from this North Star, takes about 323 years to reach the Earth. 323 years to reach the Earth. So if you had stood out last night, somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere, and if you had looked for the star and you had spotted it, the light you would have seen would actually have been light that is 323 years old. In other words, the light you would have seen last night would have been light that left the star 323 years ago. It's that far away. These are called the light years. Okay. Now the interesting thing is this. If the North Star had died, say a hundred years back, we wouldn't draw it. Because it would take us 323 years from the moment it died to recognize that it has died, because we will no longer see the light. So if it died just hundred years back, we will still continue to see the light of that star for the next 223 years. It's a dead star. But it appears to be living. And that is exactly what Christ was telling the church in Sardis. The message to that church, the letter to that church is actually a sad testimony of any church. And as we study the attributes of this church in Sardis, please extrapolate that knowledge, that information, and see if today, we are in that same sinking boat. Because that's what we need to do. We need to be able to look and see what was the message God gave the church that many years back and see if it applies to us today. And what God told the church was this in verse 1. Tells us that the church in Sardis is a dead church living on past reputation. In NKJV it is written like this, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. In NIV it is written, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. 
Jesus Christ could not be more blunt than that. There is no way he could have made a clearer statement than what he just made. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Agreed? And so he expects the church to be living, lively and productive. A dead church is not living. A dead church is not lively. A dead church is not productive. A dead church is dead. That's just about it. And if it is, and if it is dead, like anything that is dead around us, a dead body, we don't keep it with us. We take it away. We destroy it. We bury it. But we don't keep it with us. Perchance, if it is not yet dead, but on the verge of death, there is still hope. There is still hope. And that's why this church forms part of the study series Revival in the Church. Because there is still a little hope, even if we think that we are a dead church. Because you will see that there is a remnant of hope that still remains in Sardis. And it is to that remnant of hope that Jesus Christ actually is addressing because he wants his church to be a living, lively, productive church. In Matthew chapter 21 verse 19, this is what Jesus Christ said when he sees an unproductive fig tree. Turn with me to Matthew 21 19. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. The leaves on the tree give the appearance of life. But if the tree does not produce fruit, it is useless. It is not productive. In reality, it is dead. Now all the programs, the activities, the jumping around that we do, can present an appearance of life. But if we are not productive, we are dead. Now church, I ask you to think of our victory night services. The victory night service is not just another service. The victory night service is the time when you bring unsaved people to the church. It's a time when you bring colleagues. It's a time when you bring friends. It's a time when you bring relatives who do not know Christ. And you give them an opportunity And every month, pastor reminds us in the council, he says the message at the victory night needs to target the unsaved. It is not meant to be a theological PhD doctrine of the Bible. 
It is meant to be a salvation message, victory night messages. But if you look at the last couple of victory nights that we have had, in fact for many months, it's essentially us. It's we coming again and again, maybe a smaller number, midweek. But there is nobody new. So are we productive? That's the question. We have programs, we have activities. But we are not productive. We have the leaves covering us. But we don't have the fruit. I'm just telling you what's there in the Bible. Don't look at me at daggers. I'm just interpreting what was interpreted to me. So, if I was to stretch those, that line of reasoning, I would say that we are a dead church. We are the sardis of today. Which is an entirely different picture, isn't it? To think that we are a dead church. Now who makes the church? You and I. That means you and I are dead. And when we talk about dead, we are talking about spiritually dead, physically living. The letters to these churches are meant to correct. The letters to these churches are meant to change. The letters to these churches are warnings. So we can't pussyfoot about them. We have to be serious about it. Christ is serious about his church. He was serious about his church 2000 years back. He was serious about the church the week it was established. When somebody lied to the, or gave a false statement, he and his wife were killed immediately. If that rule applies now, this church would be empty, including me. Alright, let's move on. In many places of this world, now it's not just about us. It's in many places of the world, you see these kinds of churches. Churches that have dead people in the pews and dead pastors in the pulpit. As simple as that. There are churches that no longer preach the gospel. There are churches that no longer call sin, sin. There are churches that no longer have Christ as their head. And there are churches that no longer turn people away from hell. Churches have become clubs. I was reading the Church of Scotland. In the 1500s, it was one of the most vibrant church, the Church of Scotland. 1800 vibrant churches. And then the Church of Scotland was actually attacked by the Church of England. Can you believe that? It was not by the, the Hindus of England, eh, by the way. It was by the Church of England, because the Church of England actually was not sure at that point of time whether they wanted to go the Protestant way or the Catholic way. So they were meandering between one doctrine and the other and they had no clue what they were doing and the only thing they knew what they had to do was to capture land. Now go to the churches of Scotland and you will see that every church has got huge amount of land. 
Every church, fantastic tall spires, huge granite buildings, and land. And so the Church of England attacked it. And then compromise started setting in. All kinds of things started changing. Last year when I happened to go to Scotland to take my daughter there, and I was in a place called Aberdeen, I spoke to the director of uh, uh, one of the churches, who also happens to be uh, leading the, the, the counseling section of the college, of the university where my daughter is admitted. And then I was asking him, so, uh, so, so how big is your parish? Uh, and, and, and he was telling me, my parish has got about 200 people. I said, oh, this is interesting. Because everybody says that the churches in England have nobody. And this is Scotland, okay. He said, my parish has got 200 people. And then he added one line, which deflated me immediately. My Sunday services have got about 12 to 14 people. And most of those people are retirees, by the way. Okay? That's a dead church. I'm not saying that there aren't churches which are vibrant. There are. I had opportunity to attend two churches, very vibrant churches. But there are many, many, many churches all over the world which are basically dead. If a church is not preaching Christ, if a church is not digging deep into the word of God, if a church is not teaching the need to be obedient to God, if a church is not identifying sin and teaching repentance, if the church is not condemning sin for what it is, it is time for the pew, the people in the pew, to walk up to the leadership of the church, and that includes this church also, and walk up to the leadership of the church and say, shape up or ship out. I don't want to hear something. I want to hear the proper word of God. Okay, that's a living church. But that was not the church in Sardis. Because Jesus Christ said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are actually dead. Christ did not mince words when he spoke to the church in Sardis. And Christ is not mincing words to you and to me today. Now Sardis was an important city in Asia Minor, though it was not the most important one or the most prominent one. It was a city built on a plateau, had roles to play in military establishment. It, it was also on multiple trade routes. It is said that there were five different trade routes which were going through uh, Sardis. So it was an important uh, trading center. It was economically important. And it had one main industry, which was the woolen garment industry. Okay, so that's a little bit about uh, Sardis. Beyond this, there was really nothing very special. It was like any other place that you found, found in Asia Minor, so we won't dwell too long upon it. But let's move on. Now let's go back to the introductory words of Christ. He introduced himself as he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, what would the people of Sardis have understood from these words? That the one who was addressing them was he who had the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. 
Now the thing is this, most early church worshippers knew many of the crucial religious texts that existed at that time. And one such text which uh, was quite prominent was the book of Isaiah, which today we now call the book of Isaiah. Okay? Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And this is a verse which we, we know well. Okay, and in the NKJV it is written like this. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So when the people of Sardis heard the words that the one who was addressing them had the seven spirits of God, they could relate to what was actually written in the book of Isaiah. The one addressing them had the spirit of God. So that was one thing they could understand. Okay, the one addressing them right now was the one who had the Spirit of God. And in addition, he's telling them that he had the seven spirits of God. One was the Spirit of God. The remaining six were the characteristics of God. Number one, the Spirit of Wisdom. The Spirit of Understanding. The Spirit of Counsel. The Spirit of Might. The spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So here the one who was addressing them had the spirit of God and the six coexistent character spirits of God. Now if you go to Revelation chapter 4 verse 5 and chapter 5 verse 6, you will again find a description of the seven spirits of God. Now many of you would have seen in shop windows, various parts of the world, candle stand made up of seven limbs, which is often described as a Jewish candle stand. Okay. Now, in reality, I did not know too much about that. Because anytime I have gone and looked around for a candle stand, I've looked for a three-limb candle stand. Assuming that the three limbs would stand for the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Forgetting also that three limbs looks like the trishul of the Hindus. Okay. But let's put that aside for a minute. What about the seven? This is it. If you go to Revelation 4 uh, verse 5 and Revelation 5 verse 6, you will see that he is described as, let me just take that one. Chapter 4, verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. You see, and that is what the Jews have always described that candle as the Jewish candle stand. But they describe the seven spirits of God. The seven characteristics of God. And that is what the people of Sardis would now have recognized. So they would have seen that the one who was talking to them, yes, they understood who was talking to them because they knew their 
book of Isaiah. And they could understand when he said, now I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. Secondly, they would have recognized that the one who spoke to them, who said that he had the seven stars in his hand, was an indicator that the one who spoke, Jesus Christ, was the one who owned and controlled every single church. The letters were addressed to seven churches. So he was telling them, I own these churches. Whatever is happening in and around is immaterial. I own these churches. They are mine. And what is mine, I take care of. You see? Very simply he was telling them, the church did not belong to any man, any woman, Jew, Roman, Gentile, or otherwise. So if you hear today somebody talking about my church, there is no my church, it's all Jesus Christ church. Every single person is only a tool in the hand of Jesus Christ. Every one of you, me inclusive, we are meant to be tools, we are meant to be weapons in the hands of Jesus Christ for Him to use. Because He owns us. He owns the church. He rules over our life. And this is what Jesus Christ was telling the church at Sardis. The one who is speaking you, to you now, is the one who has the seven spirits of God and has the seven stars in his hand. I am not some inconsequential person talking to you. I am the Lord speaking to you. And therefore I have a message for you. Better listen to me. This is what Jesus Christ was saying to the church. Today, if Christ was saying the same words to you and to me, would we have the humility to accept his condemnation? Because his words were this, I know your works, that you have a name, a reputation, that you are alive, but you are dead. If Jesus Christ came and said these words, would we take it? Would we be ready to repent and change? I had no idea that the promise for today spoke on humility, contriteness of heart, and repentance. And God would be with us. And the same thing applies here. Would we be ready to humble ourselves? Would we be ready to put out our pride? Would we be ready to think that I am one up on the next person? Would we be ready to repent of all the wrongs that we, have, that we do constantly? Would we be ready to have a contrite heart? That was the question Jesus Christ was asking the church in Sardis. And that is the same question that you and I need to answer today. But these were not the only words of condemnation that Christ had for the church at Sardis. In verse 2 of chapter 3 of Revelation, Christ talks of things that are ready to die because, he says, 
I have not found your works perfect before God. I have not found your works perfect before God. These are the words from NKJV. In NIV it is written, For I have not found your deeds complete before my God. We are talking about verse 2 of Revelation chapter 3. Your deeds are not perfect. Your deeds are not complete. Church, believe me, God expects you and me to be perfect in our work. And God expects us to complete that which we have started. Because in the church, it is not about you and me. It is not my work, it is not your work, it is His work. So if He has given you a task, do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. And complete the task. That is what Christ was telling the church in Sardis. Let's not give excuses that we are after all imperfect beings. So how can I be perfect in my work? I am an imperfect being. Moses, in his eyes, was imperfect. Isaiah, in his eyes was imperfect. We know his famous words. Woe unto me of unclean lips. Peter, in his words, was an imperfect being. Yes, they were imperfect, no doubt about it. But in the hands of God, all these men were used to perfection. See, that's the thing. Today you and I might be imperfect in the way we are. But that's okay. In our own eyes, we may be imperfect. But that's okay. Because God knows better. Let's understand that. God knows better. And so when He gives you a task, or when He gives me a task, He says, I am giving it to so and so, because there is no one better than this person to complete the task to perfection. When He sent Jonah to Nineveh, couldn't He have picked somebody else? When he needed the church to, to spread, couldn't he have picked up somebody other than Paul who was on the other side? Who was killing people? But God knew something. Whether it was Jonah, whether it was Paul, whether it is you, whether it's me, God knows that when he gives a task in our hand, he is the one who empowers. He empowered Jonah, he empowered Paul, he empowers you and he empowers me. And when he does it, all he asks is that, be committed to that task. Do it perfectly. Do it to the best of your ability. And do it completely. Don't look for the praise of men. We fail because we do not get the praise of men. I do something over and over and over again and I look and I left, right. Nobody seems to be bothered. So I start reducing my standards. Well, nobody is bothered. That's not the way God works. God's level of perfection is constantly up there. 
It doesn't reduce. And he expects that of you and me. So many of us have got a name in our jobs, in our secular jobs, that we do our work well. We do our work to perfection. We do our work on time, completely. You can trust this brother, this sister. If you think I'm, I'm, I'm not telling the truth, you just come to Victory Night and listen to testimonies. You will know. People will say, that that could have been a job done by somebody else. I am not qualified to do that job. Yet it was given to me. And I, by God's help, I did it. You did it. So many people have said this. That same commitment that we have at our work spot is what Christ is looking for in the church. How many of us persistently Go late to work? Oh, nobody. But I don't see the same thing happening in church. I find some people are persistently late to church. And the excuse is my children. You know, my children are sleeping. The same children yesterday, because Thursday was the working day, yesterday you woke them up at 6 o'clock in the morning because the bus comes at 6.45 and you put them in the bus and send them off to school. Am I right? Why today morning you didn't wake them at 6.45? Why today morning they are allowed to sleep? You see, those are excuses. That's not fact, that's not reality. The choice lies in our hands. The commitment lies in our minds. Are we prepared to be committed? Are we prepared to be perfect? Are we prepared to complete that which the Lord lays down for us to do? That's what he told Sardis. Verse 3. Verse 2, sorry. I have not found your works perfect before God. And then it goes on that way. Now let's move on. Sadly, when you read the story of the church of Sardis, God does not have a word of commendation. He couldn't find anything good to say to those people. But he gives them a channel of revival. In verses 2 and 3 he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. Remember the how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. I'm giving you a way forward. There are some who are not dead. There are still some things that remain. Let's revive that. Hold fast. Repent. Remember your talents. Remember your abilities. You don't have to slack in your work. Let's get moving. Because if you don't, then comes the warning. And the warning is this. I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So Jesus Christ is not going to inform the church and say that I am coming on January 1st, 2020. Set yourself right by December 31st. 
No. He may come right now. And maybe some of us will be left behind while the rest will go. He may choose to come a thousand years later. It's not in my hands. I don't know. But he will come at a time of his choosing. And we need to be ready. So there was still hope for that church in Sardis. Just as Jesus Christ gives hope to every one of us. We are not in a hopeless situation. He still gives us hope and says that you can come out of it. If you just remember. Strengthen the things that you already have. Remember the talents that I have put into you and build upon it. Repent of your wrongdoing. There is hope. This is what Jesus Christ said to the church at Sardis. Somebody is calling. Maybe Jesus Christ, I don't know. And as in every other church, there was a remnant of people who were not doing what the majority were doing. Verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. So there were still a few people who were trying to stand firm in the midst of a church that was failing. And to them Christ said, those people who had overcome the apathy of the church, Christ promised two blessings. He said, they would be clothed in white garments and would walk with him. To that, to the people of Sardis, white garments meant something. Because that was a city which, whose main industry was woolen garments. Now if you look at pullovers or sweaters or jerseys that you have, you will find that it's very rare to get a pure white garment. Most pullovers are colorful. Or even if they are white, they have some colored thread which pops up here and there. So to the people of Sardis, to be told that you will be clothed in white garments meant that they had perfection. Their garment industry was going to produce something that was perfect. There was no blemish of a blue thread or a yellow thread or a red thread or black thread or whatever. It was going to be perfect and they were going to wear that perfect garment and walk with he who had the seven spirits. This is what Christ was telling the people of that church. To the remnant, those who were undefiled. And then he told them, he would not blot out their names from the book of life. And he would be an advocate for them in front of God the Father. He would not blot out their name from the, from the book of life. Now, that was probably the sweetest thing that those faithful believers would have heard. To know that their names are there on the register to enter heaven. My name is there. It's not blotted out. 
but to all the others the inference is this your name will be blotted out so what does it mean it means that originally your name was there and now it is blotted out it's been taken out so don't assume for a minute that once your name is there in the book of life it's permanent it can be blotted out because Christ said he will not blot out the names of the faithful so if you are not faithful if you are not obedient if you are taking your commission for granted your name can be blotted out so can mine we need to be careful that on the day we take our last breath on this earth our name is still there in that book of life so after that we can't do anything but to make sure that it is still there we need to watch how we walk on this earth now in conclusion i want you to recognize a couple of facts from 6 from these six verses written to the church at Sardis there is no mention of persecution against the church in Sardis there is no mention of a doctrinal failure there is no mention of idolatry there is no mention of sexual immorality these were all issues that were discussed in the previous churches from Ephesus to Thyatira to all of the churches had either a issue of doctrinal failure or they had issues of persecution idolatry sexual immorality none of these were there against the church at Sardis the only problem of the church of Sardis was apathy and a false mask of religiosity a false mask of religiosity we need to be absolutely careful of this false mask of religiosity don't fall for appearances look for fruit if the fruit is not there that church is dead and that is a lesson for us today if we want to walk with christ in white garments in the heavenly kingdom if we do not want our names to be blotted out from the lamb's book of life we better take heed if we have to strengthen what is good and right let us do so now if we have to remind ourselves of the talent god has put in each one of us to be used for his kingdom purposes let us start making use of them for his kingdom purposes right now if we have to hold fast and repent let us do so right now for it says in revelation 13 the time is near in a few minutes many of you will be coming up front for the lord's table but when pastor leads us through it he will say examine yourself or to be more 
uh, what shall I say, current. Do a selfie on yourself. Church, take a moment to examine your own life. What you so carefully show to the world around you is your physical self. But what really matters whether you are dead or alive is your spiritual being. Examine yourself. Talk to God right now. If you need to set that right, do so right now. Because the promise for to this that we heard today was God comes down to us. So God is with us right now. He is not somewhere else. He is right here. Talk to him right now. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God bless you all. Now it's a time for us to go to the Lord's table. Let us prepare our hearts. Before we could pray, let us turn to our Bibles to 1st Corinthians chapter 11, verses from 23 onwards. For I have received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body of and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the lost body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, 
that we may not be condemned with the world dear children of god once again what is the lord's table it is not a ritual but it is a celebration but it has to be celebrated very carefully so it is not a routine that is addition to the church service of every first week of the month and but it is so important we every one of us is to be attention to it we heard the message what it means to yes even from the beginning of this worship we said we have to examine ourselves and prepare ourselves to confess before the lord even to worship god but anyhow make it short we know that two elements which is kept here the bread represents the body of christ that was broken the cup represents the blood of christ that was shed for our sins this has to be remember and the explanation what is given here from verse 26 and 27 first paul explains that we are showing or preaching or proclaiming the lord's death till he comes back when we take this communion take part in this communion we are preaching or showing ourselves or believing ourselves and we are commanded to proclaim the lord's death till he comes each one of us is preaching our faith or sacrificial death of christ for our sins when we take the bread and the cup it is the most important message that we will ever preach to this world second paul explains that we should not partake the elements in an unworthy manner we are all unworthy people because of our sin we were sinners but this was prepared for us those who are accepted jesus christ repented our sins confessed and received the forgiveness of god and we obeyed god as he commanded us so unworthy manner what does it mean in a unworthy manner there are three things it should not be taken very lightly it should not be taken very lightly secondly we should remember jesus christ who provides all we need and thirdly it is not about the bread and wine alone it is about the body and the blood of jesus it is so serious so important so precious and this was done for each and every one of us and communion is not an obligation but a commandment and a celebration so when we said about the examination what the lost table says to us in verse 28 to 32 we should examine ourselves before we partake the lost table this concept can be summon up into two words one is confession second is chastening 
Confession is sin to be named and confess before God. Chastening is the person who partakes the Lord's table without confession of sin is inviting judgment upon himself. The word domination in verse 29 means the judgment. God disciplined many who took up the table in an unworthy way with an earthly death that is sleep when we judge our own sins through confession then God does not have to discipline us so in that case so important it is that is confession is what and chastening is what you yourself voluntarily come to the lord as you are examining yourself as and for the forgiveness instead of allowing god to chasten us so here is the message for us to remember month it is not only just month after month and as we are come to celebrate this table it is prepared for everyone who accepted jesus christ as the lord and savior and obeyed the lord into water baptism if any one of us even after that who is sitting here those who are born again accepted christ if you have or feel that you have a unconfessed sin in you or if you are not forgiven anybody you have a hurt in your heart it's a time for you once again before come to the lord's table you have to ask forgiveness from our god as we know from the promise the heavenly god the one who is in heaven he came down to us as always we believe that the presence of god is there so he is not far from you He is near you. So open your heart. Ask the Lord forgive you. The humble and contrite spirit. With the humble and the contrite spirit. Definitely God will forgive us. And set you free. So that rejoicingly you can come and have the table together. So the thing that you remember is. This has to be. though until he comes proclaiming the death of christ it is jesus christ who gave himself on our behalf on the cross let's close our eyes pray for the table first of all you pray for yourself examine yourself close your eyes open your heart not your as you are closing your eyes Open your heart to the Lord. What is in your heart? Do you have any hurt by somebody? Or if you hurt somebody, examine about your spiritual life. How closely you are experiencing the Lord's presence. How often you praying? 
how is your relationship with christ are you experiencing god in your life on a daily basis moment by moment how is your family life your relationship with your spouse and your with your children the closest people physically with you if you are not set right with them you cannot come and have part in this last table but you can repent before god within you by opening your heart unto the lord how is your relationship in your working place it is not of the burden it is about the personal relationship with your colleagues and with your authorities if you have any hurt disagreements now is the time for you to confess before lord god will forgive you and give you peace then peacefully you will come and have this table partake in this table father god once again we come before you as your children as you spoke to us from the beginning lord till now lord let your word remain in us lord we know by the word cleansing of your word you will cleanse us and you purify us let the word which we heard remain in us wash us cleanse us purify us and make us prepare ourselves worthy to take part in this table we know lord you are the loving merciful and compassionate god father in this time we pray for the bread and the wine which kept before us bless it and sanctify it as we are going to take help us to remember your love it is expression of your love which was shown to this world which we believe and we accepted and experiencing through your son jesus christ lord let this be a bring joy peace and happiness in our life we thank you once again for hearing us in jesus precious name we pray amen so as usual the ushers will help you as we said that it is only for the people those who are born again accept jesus christ as the lord and savior and obey the lord and even those who are confessed your sins and with your conscience if lord has forgiven you you are free to come and have part in this lord's table thank you
ask yourself, am I alive? Am I alive? When pastor was here, he was talking about a particular star that takes so many years before the light traveled to this place. Call of Apostle is no longer alive. The work of his hand is still talking to today. When you leave, what are they going to talk about you? Are you alive as if you are not alive? The most important thing is for you to be alive in Christ. The church at Sardis was described as being dead. Even though it has a reputation of being alive, or has a reputation of vibrant, to be a vibrant church, that, but that was only outside. That church was spiritually lifeless. Do they just call you a Christian? Do people just see you and say, that is a Christian? But only on the surface. What is your character? What message is your behavior communicating to the world? In book of Matthew 23 verse 27. I'm reading from NIV. Matthew 23 verse 27. What do you teacher of the Lord and Pharisees? You hypocrite, you are like washed, whitewashed stone, which look beautiful on the, on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. This is a rebook that Jesus Christ was giving unto the Pharisees. He said they look beautiful outside. Ask, your question, ask yourself that question today. Do you look beautiful outside? And what is inside you? This is the time for us to repent. The repentance time is now. You have just partake in the communion. That is a wake-up call for us. Like Pastor said, yeah, it's not just for spiritual. It's to, re to remind you, to revive you, to wake you up from the slumber. Don't be like that church. The time is now. Let us be on our feet. As you have partake in today's communion, let it be communion that is renew your life. Right now begin to tell God, Lord, I partake in this communion. Everything that is dead inside me. Not outside now. You can wake up what is dead outside yourself. But whatever is dead inside me, that is not allowing me to serve you better, Father, make them alive. Begin to talk to God. Lord, make them alive. I want to be alive inside and outside. I don't want to be like that church that looks spiritually vibrant, but they are dead. I just partake in the communion 
as you have said, have shared your body and the blood. Let that renew your power in me. Let that spring up your Holy Spirit in me. So that I will not be dead inside and outside. Father, we thank you. Lord, we lift your name up. We glorify you, Lord. For the message that you have communicated to us today. For us that we are able to identify the area where we are dead. For us to have known the area where we are not serving you the way we should serve you. Father, we thank you. And as we have partake in the communion, Father, we pray that every dead situation in our lives shall receive life in the mighty name of Jesus. Every dead condition, every dead spirit in us, we be partaking of the Holy Spirit. We be partaking of the communion. The Holy Spirit of God shall spring everything new, everything afresh in your life in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Almighty God. And I decree upon your life, as you step into this new month, you shall rise to the glory of God in the mighty name of Jesus. This is the ember month. The presence of Almighty God and His favor shall go ahead of you wherever you go in the mighty name of Jesus. His glory will follow you. Every will go in the mighty name of Jesus. And whenever you pray, the Lord will answer you speedily in Jesus' name. And never will open for your sake in the mighty name of Jesus. Every blessing, every blessing that has not been locating you because you are spiritually dead. And I pray right now that they shall locate you in the mighty name of Jesus. The kingdom of God is why we are calling on the name of God. On that day, you shall not be found wanting in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, almighty God. Lord, I pray for your servant that you have used these days for us. Father, we pray that you will reload him more in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for more anointing in his life in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for his family. Lord, you continue to be with them in the mighty name of Jesus. You will bless him and bless his family in Jesus' name. And as many that are present here today that partake in this service, being congregation or being one ministry or the other, I bless you that the Spirit of God will renew itself afresh in you in Jesus' name. As you go, the Lord will go with you. This new week, you will testify to the glory of God. Thank you, Almighty God. For the rest of our program for this week, Father, we commit them unto you. That you will take control in Jesus' name. Even for the rest of the program for the year and beyond. Father, as usual, we call upon you. Take over in Jesus' name. And let your name be glorified. Thank you, Almighty God. For in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Let us share the grace together in fellowship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace in Jesus' name.